0: So, continuing down the uh, the telehealth train, um, Mississippi is is an interesting uh, area of the, of the United States. It's one of the uh, it's one of the high, it, it has one of the uh, highest prevalence of, of diabetes patients. Um, it also has a lot of people living in rural, uh, underserved areas, and um, the the Mississippi. Um, uh, Medical Center, the, their telehealth department has done some, some fascinating things with being able to to help some of those patients and they, they created this diabetes telehealth program. And uh, I'm just going to leave it up to Michael who who will spend most of this time talking about that project and, and some of the, the great innovative work. Thank you. I hope it's okay. I've got to stand up. I can't sit down and do a presentation. I'm Michael Adcock. I am the Executive Director at the Center for Telehealth. Can y'all hear me without that? Yes, Okay, good, because I talk with my hands and you're going to get a lot of this if I don't. <laughs> so, thank you. So that's my picture on the other page. I'm the Executive Director of the Center for Telehealth University of Mississippi Medical Center. Um, I'll give you some of the history of our program quickly and we'll go directly into after that some of the reasons why that we um, use telehealth in Mississippi. Some of the things that we're doing, we'll talk about remote patient monitoring as a means chronic disease management, and then talk about sustainability after that. I heard the questions around uh, reimbursement, and that is certainly a, a big topic, and if you're talking about building sustainable programs, it's one that we have to address. So why is telehealth important? Um, you've already heard definitions, I won't go back over it, but telehealth in Mississippi is important um, for the same reason it's important across a lot of the rest of the country. 53 of our AT counties are more than minutes. Um, and when you're going and born 40 with special care, you know what happens? You don't have sick care. Um, you end up waiting for that care. You get to that care, and you end up in the ER and ICU. You end up in very high-cost environments. So for our total program we started, um, we want to provide special care that's close to home. The, the goal of our entire program is to provide high-quality care as close to home as possible. We also want to support our primary care physicians. So if we're a very rural state, as was mentioned earlier. Um, we have the, one of the lowest, if not the lowest, depending on which study you look at, number of providers per patient. So we don't have enough providers. We have patients that are spread out across the state, and we're very, it's a very poor state. So we want to be able to provide support for those primary care physicians. So they come to medical school in Jackson, the only medical school in the state, only active in the medical center. They receive their training to go out back in their communities where they're from, and they're active by themselves. So we want to support them with the specialty care. Obviously, we'll decrease cost of care and improve outcomes. That's a given. Um, we'll support population health. We're also, because we're the only academic medical center, um, we believe strongly in providing interactive distance education. So we're, we're educating patients as a part of our program, but we also owe it to the providers to be able to educate them um, in their practice whenever we need So our timeline, um, the one in the 90s, really, we were doing telehealth before. It's called telehealth, just like most other health systems across the country diagnostic testing, interpretation certification of adult and pediatric cardiology, radiology, multiple different specialties from that standpoint. In 2003, we started our first live telemedicine program um, with our teleemergency program, connecting our level one trauma center and our board certified emergency medicine physicians with um, ERs across the state, trying to keep patients in their local community, trying to address a staffing issue that has grown up across the state with a lack of board certified providers. We tell people all the time when they come and train in our program, do not start with emergency medicine. If you're starting a telemedicine telemedicine program, you will at least know when the patients are coming, where they're coming from, and what's wrong with them. 2008, we added mental health. I don't know about any of your state, but mental health is a huge issue in Mississippi. Um, It's a huge issue across the country. We don't have enough providers, we don't have enough access points, so we added mental health in 2008. Um, A lot of the early programs started the same way, but up until 2011, This was done um, just out of desire, a passion. In 2011, we had our first full-time staff. That was actually our, currently our director of um, telehealth technology. Up until then, it was all done under the job description of other duties as assigned. So this was done by our chair of emergency medicine, our nurse practitioner in emergency medicine, and our land administrator from emergency medicine. They did this because they had a passion for it. They weren't getting paid for telehealth. It's just something that they saw as a solution. 2013 we formed our Center for Telehealth. Um, it was actually formed as a center opened our 24-7 telehealth call center. I'm not going to go through the definition, but we see telehealth similar to what Drew mentioned. Telehealth is at a marginal term. Includes multiple different modalities. Here's the three that we focus on both telemedicine, the live audio, video interaction between a patient and a provider, or a provider and a provider. It can be scheduled or unscheduled, it can be primary health or specialty care. Uh, we actually perform this in prisons and multiple different um, areas across the state. Store and forward, um, if you think radiology, going to an emergency room to a block of the room, they've been doing store and forward telehealth for a very long time. Radiologists is off-site. A lot of times in other countries, they take the image, store it, send it to them, and a report comes back. We've been doing that with adult pediatric cardiology for a very long time. Radiology, neurology, audiology. Dermatology is one of the spread rapidly across the state. In Mississippi, it takes six months to get it into the live dermatologist report. So it's something that we can do store forward and have a report back within 24 hours. The one I'm here to talk to you about today, remote patient monitoring can be a chronic disease management the patients' homes. Um, Hospitals appreciate this. Most hospitals, unfortunately, Mississippi is still 100% fee for service. So hospitals want us to keep these patients out and have a great um, track record with decreasing readmissions. They want those readmissions decreased for the first 30 days. Um, After that, when the ability goes away, they're happy to have them back. For service and volume based. Um, So, we still have some work to do there. Clinics and ACOs, private practice, hospital, lots of different benefits for remote patient monitoring. Some of our numbers for our telehealth center um, we've had over 500,000 telehealth encounters since the inception of the program. We have over 200 specialists available to provide telehealth, 35 different medical specialties. Right now, we have 234 sites across the state of Mississippi. Here's a map of Mississippi. It's a very interesting place, as was said earlier. so you'll look at the, the shaded areas or are where we have telehealth sites of service. If you want to count, there's 68 shaded counties, um, that's up to 82 counties, where we have a physical site of service where we provide telehealth. Does not include what we're doing on iPads in patients' homes. We have multiple different types of sites of services. It's not all just the, the traditional up and spoke model between the hospital and clinics or hospital and outlying hospitals. We also are mental health clinics, qualified health centers, um, schools and colleges, university campuses. We have mobile health families outfitted with um, a telehealth access point. We're in multiple corporations across the state. We're currently providing um, direct consumer type services for all state employees in Mississippi, $180,000 lives. We're in prisons, like I said, a great program, keeps the prisoners out of the um, Clinics keeps the doctors out of the prisons. Everybody likes to except the prisoners because they don't get a filter anymore. <laughs> um, and we're in the patient's homes. So what's the problem? Why, why are we focused on the patient monitoring? Diabetes, Mississippi, As um, you can't tell from the size of the speaker, is an obese stage. It, we really are really good at food. Um, we, we like food. Not good food. I mean, not good for you food, but really good food. It tastes good. Um, it's high in calories it's really fattening and we don't exercise a lot. So we're really, really good at the bad things and really, really bad at the good things. So if you look at lists, if it's a list that's supposed to be positive, we're number 50. If it's a list that's supposed to be negative we're number one. So we have an issue with diabetes. Mississippi, especially Sunflower County, ranks the top for prevalence of diabetes. Um, It's an issue where we have a very high diabetic rate. Um, The cost of care for diabetics is extraordinarily expensive, 2.3 times higher than those who do not have diabetes. So it's a cost multiplier. In 2012 in Mississippi, the expenses totaled $2.74 for diabetes. Um, that's unsustainable in a state that only has about 2.74 million people. So not a sustainable model. Um, and when you add pre-diabetes in there, it, it goes above 3 million. I mean 3 billion. So if you'll notice Mississippi right here, if you didn't recognize it from the earlier map, we are the only state in the diabetes belt with 100% of our counties um, in the diabetes belt. (laughs) So of those 644, we're glad to have 82 of them. Not really, but we're more likely to have type 2 diabetes, and this is where this is considered the diabetes belt. You'll hear from um, one of the other telehealth centers this afternoon. They're also in the diabetes belt, but we're ahead of them in our prevalence, because all our counties are filled in. (laughs) So what do you do about it? It's not an issue that's easy to solve, and we certainly haven't solved it, but we did look to try to figure out a way to address it, and how to address it in rural areas and how to address it in foreign areas. So we decided to work as a partnership. We didn't have a lot of state funds to direct towards this, I actually had zero state funds to direct towards this. So all these groups got together, in a private partnership, working with North Sunflower Medical Center, which is a um, hospital in the Mississippi Delta. Um, it's in Sunflower County, thus the name. We also work with Ceasefire, which is the largest private telecom company in the country. They're based in the regional Mississippi, work with the Office of the Governor of the State of Mississippi, work with the Division of Medicaid, all of our schools, the School of Nursing, the School of Pharmacy, the School of Medicine, um, GB Healthcare, and <clears throat> Care Innovations. We all got together and put in our own efforts to try to see if we could address Diabetes in rural America, rural Mississippi, one of the most underserved areas in the country, using technology. So here it is, this is the delta, the shading um, area, the poorest part of the poorest state of in the country. So the purpose of the program was to try to improve clinical outcomes and care, coordination for disease management, increase access to care, obviously, and bring healthcare resources into the patient home. 117 miles from Ruleville to Jackson. Ruleville is where North Sunflower Medical Center is. Um, it might as well be a 1,000 miles. These patients don't have resources, they don't have means, they can't get to specialists. There are no endocrinologists in that town. There are no endocrinologists within 117 miles of that town. So a great place to start. Also the reason we chose North Sunflower is because the governor of Mississippi is from Sunflower County. Um, never ever overlooked the value it's good to it's good, it's good to play to some of those things. We were looking for 200 out of control diabetics to enroll in the program, they had to all be in Sunflower County, we were a little bit restrictive. they had to all be over 18 years of age, they had to have a prior diagnosis, couldn't be pregnant, they had to have an A1C over seven. Greater than the greater than or equal to part was not hard to find finding 200 people in Sunflower County that are willing to be a part of a study based out of Jackson, Mississippi is difficult. If you've ever been in a small town, not all are well, always welcoming. They're welcoming you, but they don't necessarily trust you. So trying to get those was a little bit difficult. We ended up with about 160 patients in the program. And what we were looking to do, we've loved we called the three um, We're providing remote patient monitoring at home, but the purpose of the program is to educate patients. It's not your typical remote patient monitoring program. We're trying to educate the patients. I'm a nurse by training, and happy to be a nurse by training. When I discharged patients from the hospital, I did an excellent job educating them on their their diabetes. But I took a packet in about that day. I educated them while they're thinking about their dogs, and their cats, and their kids, and their bills, and what this is going to do to them. You can't understand what you need to understand about diabetes. Even if you're not thinking about those other things, you sure can't think about it in the hospital setting. So we're trying to provide education that they can understand it in a way that they can understand it in a setting where they're comfortable. We also want to engage them in their care. We are really good at self-care providers and health care clinicians about doing things to patients, occasionally do things with patients. I want to engage them to do things on their own and learn to change their behavior. The whole goal of the program is to empower them to take care of themselves. It can't just be monitoring and generating data. It has to be something that's actionable. Here is a picture of one of our kits. Um, this is a blood pressure kit because not really everybody wants to see blood on the screen while we're sticking people's fingers, but it's chronic disease management in the patient's homes. We send these patients home with tablets. They're a home with tablets like they ship to their house. Um, the tablets have a cellular card that they have cellular connectivity. Um, has content built into it. That is disease specific. If they're diabetic, obviously it's about diabetes. If they're diabetic and hypertensive, it's about hypertension and diabetes. But it's very targeted education. Every day, they're going to have Bluetooth peripherals, whether it's a glucometer or a blood pressure cuff or a weight scale or a spirometer. It's all disease specific, and it's all Bluetooth because I don't know how many of you have diabetes or have family members with diabetes or heart failure or other chronic diseases. My mother's on the program. Before she knew the program, I would ask her, it your it was great. Then I would ask her again, it was good. And I would ask her again, it was fine. And when we finally get to a number, about seven questions in, it was 300 something. Which is, for those of you who are not technical, I mean, not clinical, not good grade finding or anything else. So we actually get the readings directly from the glucometer into the tablet. That information then goes up to our Center for Telehealth, where we have nurses and pharmacists who are reviewing this data on a dashboard. The, the purpose of that is because if you go to the traditional model and you get your A1C taken, which is blood sugar measurement over time, if you get your a one c taken every three months. When you get that result back, you miss three months and. be able to do something about it. Whereas if they check their blood sugar after they have um, some of the strains or um, scones or whatever we've been having this morning today, and their blood sugar goes to 300, we're going to know about that in a few minutes. We're going to be able to provide personalized interventions real time to talk to them about what they've done. Not them they can ever have a pecan pie, or a cookie, or a scone again, but to talk about how to manage that with them, to talk to them about being a health coach, change their behavior. So with the program, we monitored multiple different things. This is actually the first 100 patients um, in the first six months of the study. It was a 12-month rolling study. We were looking at decreasing the blood of A1C by 1%, it by 1.7%. Um, medication compliance, anybody know what adverse medication compliance is for diabetics? around there In mississippi is not always that high um, if you ask them what it is it's great but if you ask see what amount they're taking the medication it's not so much we achieve 96 percent self-reported medication compliance and i say that for a specific reason because i always get questioned. well if they're reporting themselves how do you know it's accurate well if you're checking their blood sugar and asking them a question there's not really a whole lot of ways for them to buy unless they're sticking their kids fingers which most of them would not do you're going to know if they're lying about the medication, their blood sugar has been 120 and all of a sudden it's 300. We're going to get to the bottom of what's going on. Health session compliance, these are daily health sessions. This is six months worth of data they completed 83% of the time. That is fabulous. The rest of those are are data points and they're great, but the one that catches the most attention is this bottom one. So these were patients that didn't have an endocrinologist. Most of them didn't really follow up with primary care. They received their treatment in the ER. Um, we had zero hospitalizations, zero ER visits for diabetes in six months with 100 patients. So we essentially cut their readmissions, cut their ER visits, cut their visits to high cost environments out completely. Um, again, we worked with the, the Department of uh, Medicaid, with the governor's office. They took this and actually were measuring the cost of care for these patients pre and post. Those first 100 patients, first six months, we saved $339,184. That's actual cost of care savings for 100 patients in six months. Medicaid, that's interesting. What if you know, 20% of the Medicaid diabetics in the Sisyphe model program had similar results? We'd save $189 million a year. That's significant in the state of like 3 million people. That's significant in any state, but that's significant in the state of 3 million people. So we continued to study, got continued the study, completed the study, but before we completed the study, we decided, hey, this works. What are we gonna do about it? So we decided to spread it outside. But before I go on to that, we're gonna talk about what the patients talk about. Um, these are actual patients from the program. That's Miss Amy Ford over in the corner. I just love her to death. But her quote is at the bottom. She learned more in a few months of being on the program than she has in 17 years. That's where you make a difference. When you can teach people about their disease, teach people about their health, and teach them how to do it themselves, that's where you make a difference. I can tell you, my mother, even though she didn't want to be able to vote, I would refer to her primary care physician um, visit and mention to the provider while she was staring daggers at me that my mother would be a great candidate for a motivational hypertension, she's diabetic. So she got on my program. She told me the same thing after about two months. She's learned more about diabetes in two months than she's known her entire life to have diabetes. That's where you make a difference. So now instead of having to ask my mother what her blood sugar is, she usually texts me and tell me, hey, it was 108 this one. Hey, it was one, And then whenever I go, she shows me her tablet to show me the graph of those, of that data. So it's making a difference in our lives. We're trying to change that trajectory. As part of our program, we always try to learn lessons. Um, one of the things we learned is originally we did this with a tablet that was about this big. It was a gigabyte tablet. It was huge. Um, had, a lot, had a lot of tethered devices. If you want to get a lot of IT calls, send patients all with things that have to be plugged in. Um, even if it's a red cord and a square goes into a red square hole on the device, you still get a call saying they cannot make it work. So everything we do now is Bluetooth, we don't do any other devices, we chose a, a smaller form factor for the patients to still get equipment. It's an iPad meeting. we want to be mobile. Um, we also want to do affordable options, so we have a glucometer now that's with the program um, that has very inexpensive blood glucose strips. We also have the ability to use whatever monitor are currently using. And connectivity. We went out and we do most of this on wireless, um, when you go to patients, they say, yeah, we have, I've got wireless internet what they mean is they have a wire coming out of the wall and there's nothing connected to it so it's wired less internet so we do it all the same with connectivity just because i can send it to them the bills are already paid i know that they have a connectivity we work with the provider to make sure that the connectivity is strong enough at their home site so what we do in the future it's not enough to talk about you know that program was successful. What are we? What are we looking for with our next programs? Obviously, a larger sample size, being able to have more numbers, so we can test that. We've been successful at doing that. Random assignment of treatment—that was not something that was part of the study. Um, Patient-provider satisfaction—we've actually incorporated now, and then the analysis of cost-effectiveness. So, what did we do with that program? We took it. And kept the program running, the study running, but started expanding equipment to adult and pediatric diabetes. And you'll see up here. I won't read them all to you, but we are have active programs in all those that are on your left-hand side of the screen. Um, most of those, if you look at the ones with the asterisk bottom, actually have AIDS. In Mississippi, not only do we have parity, um, for telemedicine, we also have payment for remote patient monitoring in store and forward. A lot of states in that have parity don't have payment for store and forward, don't have remote patient monitoring payment. But those are the asterisk are ones that we get paid for through um, Senate Bill 2646. And then the ones that aren't are honestly cost avoidance measures. We're working on financial transparency. It costs a lot of money for the state of Mississippi. On um, bone marrow transplant, we can get patients out of the bone marrow transplant even quicker, to get them at home an environment where they can recover, and we can educate them. Same thing with kidney transplant. Being the only solid organ transplant program in the state, we've had where it's 100% capacity all the time. We've got to be able to find ways to get these patients out of the high-cost environment into the home where they can recover better. Just some of the other ones that we're looking at, um, as future RP programs that, that changes constantly. We talk about patient satisfaction. I would love to hear from any of you that are working in a hospital setting or health system setting that can talk about um, satisfaction numbers like this. And this is consistent, whether it's 96, 97, it's always in the high 90s. Um, for, they would recommend this dollars. to others. Thank you. Feel the support step, my here? Yes, they love it. The equipment was easy to use. That's, that's the lowest one, and it's lowest for a reason. Sometimes, equipment, no matter how easy it is to use, isn't easy enough. Um, and then the one that means something to me. If they had a problem, someone was available We run a white glove service. We want patients to be able to engage with the program, engage with the technology, and have great results. So one of the things we're working on um, now is an intensive hypertension management program. So that's our next—that's our next big study. It's IRB approved study. We have a 300 patient total where it's for six months. Where pharmacist is able to adjust the medication therapy. So these patients are coming on their hypertension at home, we're also testing the remote patient monitoring platform for intensive hypertension management based on the new AHA guidelines. So Dr. Trey Clark is right here, our pharmacist is right there, and then we have Shirley, who's one of our remote patient monitoring nurses. But we're trying to test this as a part of one of the things I didn't say in the beginning which you'll hear from later, is about HRSA Center of Excellence. So we are one of two um, HRSA-designated centers of excellence for telehealth in the country. The other one is sitting three of them are at this table right here at the University of South Carolina. We'll be hearing from them later. Um, they are a true beat of telehealth. That's the title of their presentation. But they do great work. We're, we're all working together to try to build the research base one of the things that we can talk you can you can call your senator about telehealth um, reimbursement you can call them and ask them to change these things the first thing they're going to get asked is how much does it cost what's the cbo score they want to know what the congressional budget office thinks the congressional budget office is not going to listen to gender-sponsored research they want true academic research that's some of the work that we're doing in mississippi they're doing south carolina is to build that research base to look at best practices this is one of the things that we're doing as a part of that program Sustainability, I'll talk about in just a minute, and I know we're, we're running close to time. Um, we've got here's our Senate bill, if you ever want to see it, um, you can always look it up. But we have language that requires payers in the state of Mississippi, including Medicaid and private payers, to pay for remote patient monitoring. Um, very important to be able to align incentives. Some of the other payment models we'll see, and this is our being specific, contract and fee for service. Whether that's with the payers, whether that's with self-insurance programs or employers, on um, assisted living facilities, hospitals. Um, a lot of hospitals are looking at this for readmission penalty avoidance. We're 100% fee for service in Mississippi, but we're actually looking at share shared savings and value-based care contracts with some of our payers now to see if we can go ahead and get ahead of that train Mississippi will be the last one of the last states. To move towards value-based care, we're trying to go ahead and advance that while the rest of the system is still for service. But if you cannot create something that's sustainable, that is it, not going to last. You can't just do this off of hopes and dreams and nice to haves. You've got to be able to show some type of either significant cost savings or some type of reimbursement if you want it to be health system based. So, one of the things that we look at is other paper models. That was very quick, but I wanted to leave a little bit of time for questions. I don't know if you have questions or. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a great presentation. The, I think that one of the big keys was that patient education piece is as more more important probably than the, the technology piece. Um, anything from the audience? So the question about the they're on a different emr and in some cases don't have one all of our stuff the document goes into heaven and then we're able to share that information back so if there's something coming from outside the facility we'll put in heaven for both patient monitoring all that data goes from health harmony which is the platform communications into heaven so the position one of the big pieces is to make sure it's going to provide a workflow um, it can't be just this extra thing you have to do it has to spent a lot of time talking about workflow when we build these programs how does this fit into a physician home to work them so that they don't have to go to this other tab or go do this other thing. If they're looking for vital sign just in the fit the they'll know that your location wants to go if in the bio sign. Yes. What's their cost? Did that be okay. Oh yeah it's kind of difficult to say because it wasn't very funded. Uh, I can tell you that now you know the children who have these we lease these kits from care patients in between the kit and our services $150 a month. So reimbursement, I'll say the reimbursement that's required by the state is um, it's $10 a day if you're not doing medication management, 60 dollars a day. For all. So anywhere between 300 dollars and dollars But even if you're paying for the $408, that's what about a tenth of the VR is mm-hmm. So okay, the payers receive the benefits of, okay, let's so take care of these patients at home. And then because we have video availability and they have a diabetic and have a question about a sore on their foot, we're able to look at that and eat send them home instead stuff, that's what we're trying to avoid, to keep them out of the high-cost environments while we're training people. Yes, sir? First of all, South Carolina, we're usually very thankful for Mississippi, because we're 4950 this <laughs> day. So is every other <laughs> real second to <So> you? <laughs> yeah, we're happy to be here for you. We've got to say thank you all, Mississippi. Yeah. But I want to say we're, we're thankful for you, because you're leading the way, so I appreciate you doing a lot work down there. Can you, can you speak to the difference between your name and codes compared to, CMS to the CMS, post close our location yeah, they're somewhat similar similar. Um, those codes come up were coming were developed through the A Z medicine advisory group, I still in that group. So we um, tried to model some of those after that. Also a lot of the language of Connect for Health and Crocket Care and Personal Securities. The Mississippi congressional the delegation is very, very active in telephone legislation. And we play an active role in that. And the, the goal is not to make Mississippi look good, it's to try to bring to, to rise all the ships. So, yes, it's, um, it's similar. It's not exactly the same because, you know, it's, it's very much from a provider perspective. Um, ours is very, ours is actually a little bit less than that, from, because ours is one long day. Ours is one long day. We get all the reimbursement, which makes it difficult to share with others. If a physician puts a patient on the, the, of the program, I have no way of sharing that, rather than with them. But with, you know, this year's 991, and the ones that are coming up the we will have a way obviously. Michael, thank you very much. You're not 49th or 50th in presentation.